you know, when I heard what you guys had to go through in just a couple of days and go from face to face to online, I said, oh my Lord, how did you do that? But then again, I think of Tom, I think of LJ, I think of Scott, and I think of all my fellow lecturers. And, you know, you put man on the moon in 1969, there's no reason why we couldn't make this work. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. And we do that um, as a group. And my partner, Joe Fabrito, is back. And good to have you, Joe, as we think about wrapping up this insane year 2020. Christmas time is here. Christmas time is here. So, and right, and we're, we're checking out all the Christmas stuff right now as we prepare for next week. But we were talking about how we might want to finish off the year. And it occurred to us that it would be really nice to invite some of our friends and colleagues from Columbia to have a little roundtable chat about what we've just been through in 2020, probably the most memorable year of our lifetimes, um, but also spend part of our time together talking about what's ahead in 2021, where um, we have a lot, I believe we have some good stuff to look forward to in, in different parts of our world uh, as the vaccine gets distributed, and um, hopefully we get back to normal in some fashion. So. Uh, Joe, why don't we uh, why don't we jump right in? We're really privileged today to have a bunch of great people with us, uh, and that includes uh, the most important of them all, the, the head of the program at Columbia, the sports management program, Scott Rosner. Welcome, Scott. Good to have you. Tom, great to be here. Joe, thanks for having me. And by the way, Scott, I was just thinking the last time I saw you in person was in Boston yeah. on March seventh. I remember you and I standing. Uh, at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, having a coffee, and I said goodbye to you. We, I didn't shake your hand. Yeah, I think we, I think we did we the, the, elbows. the elbow That's bump, exactly right? and I said I'll see you next week or something like that. Yeah. Uh, well, that was nine months ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, anyway, that holds true with our other guests today too. That includes Carla Variali, one of our faculty. Carla, Hi, Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Bill, Christmas. Uh, good to have you, Carla. Uh, Bill Squires. Thanks Hello, for having Bill. me, guys. I appreciate being here. We've got Tracy Belmere. Thanks for having me as well. Appreciate and, being here. Oh my God, it's great to have you all. And and Charlie Shin, one of the one of the rookies on the team. Charlie, yes, sir. Good, good to have you. In fact, this is your first time on a podcast, I believe, with us. So it actually um, is. Thanks for having me. And Tracy's too, I think, right? Oh yeah. What am I uh, saying? I don't yes. know. Yeah. Good. All right. So. Um, Anyway, so as I said, we'll think about, we'll kind of divide this conversation in two parts. The first part will be a look back, some thoughts about 2020, and then a look ahead for the second part of the conversation. Why don't we uh, throw the mic over to Scott? And Scott, I think one thing we're all, um, we've all witnessed was kind of this dramatic pivot that occurred in March. Uh, the business, uh, in the business world at large, but also with our program, and you and LJ and Tom have been, have been um, amazing, uh, shepherding us through a, an amazing change that no one would have anticipated as we stood there in Boston nine months ago. How'd you do it? Well, it's, it's a loaded question. So first I'll start with by, by thanking uh, you all. I'll take a slight issue with the, with the most important person uh, comment that you made in the in the very kind introduction. Uh, you know, it really is is all of us. Uh, I just happen to be the one that has the the title uh, as academic director. 
So, and it wasn't really a, I think Kutan, the better way to think about it is, is not how, to, how did I do it, it's, it's how did we do it. Um, and it really was a collective effort uh, with everyone. So to take kind of the, our listeners back, so imagine it's, it's a, you know, I'm, I'm driving down to campus um, and uh, I, I'm sitting in traffic on the West Side Highway. And I get a, uh, a, a text message um, from the university uh, that we are going to, this is on Monday morning, the 9th of March, there for our listeners, that the school, there's no classes uh, today, uh, and that we're going to switch to uh, virtual learning as of Wednesday, the 11th, right? Now our program, so that immediately, you know, I immediately call uh, LJ Holmgren, who's our, uh, our listeners know as our deputy academic director and set the wheels in motion, um, get the faculty, it was all hands on deck. So Tom Cerny, who was one of the producers of this show um, uh, to get everyone who teaches on Wednesday and Thursday in the program, uh, ready to go for one day of, of teaching. Then we have a week off with spring break uh, coming up and then let's how we're going to navigate the rest of the semester. So it was truly an all hands on deck. Now for our listeners now for who, you know, Zoom is part of their parlance, uh, the vast majority of our faculty and our students had never Zoomed before. Uh, and so it was really getting into, used to a new technology very quickly, getting everyone up to speed. Um, you know, everything from, you know, the old, you know, the mute button uh, to how to create um, how to create breakout rooms, which was like, you know, Zoom 300 as opposed to Zoom 101 uh, to everything else. So it really became a how can we, you know, pivot as quickly as possible. Uh, we we're able to do so and to full credit to our faculty, um, you know, Tom, yourself included, you were in that first group, um, you know, that pivoted on 48 hours notice that, uh, you know, really had to on a dime. Um, you know, change what uh, what you were what you were delivering or how you were delivering it, your your modality, um, and everyone. You know, we're very fortunate. We have a really really strong group, uh, and everyone bought in immediately. Carla, you know, Carla, you know, you're you're practicing law, um, and so and Tom, you've got your your consulting gig. Um, Tracy and Bill and Charlie weren't in the classroom with us at that point, and Joe uh, and nor was Joe that that semester. But for, for the two of you, it was like, okay, my whole world has been thrown upside down. Um, and I've got this whole professional life that I'm trying to navigate. Um, I've got the personal life I'm trying to navigate. And, um, you know, on top of it, I'm teaching. And I've got a lot of people who, uh, students who are uh, looking to me for, you know, to continue kind of going in, in the as, as seamlessly as possible. So it really was a team effort uh, on that front. I mean, I can't uh, understate uh, I can't overstate the the uh, the role that Tom and LJ played in in all of this, um, in really kind of getting everyone going. It was more I'm, I was more the directional. Hey, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's make sure we're covering all these things. Um, but really, just on, on a logistical front, um, those two folks, you know, proved once again why why they're the best teammates you could hope for. Carla, what do you what do you think about that experience of moving virtual? So we had the opportunity to be in the classroom together in uh, up through March. Uh, and then we moved and then we've done this, this hybrid this year. 
So they're very different modalities. And for me, it was really a challenge about how I deliver educational content to the students, how best to package my, my class to the students, because it was a very different um, set of facts for the, when we went to a hybrid model. Um, so for me, it was really about trying to I did a survey, for example, in the middle of the semester because I knew that some of the kids in the classroom and at home weren't necessarily interacting with me or each other in a way. And I didn't know if it was COVID exhaustion, Zoom exhaustion, Carla exhaustion. So I sent a survey out and in the middle of the semester, I wound up you know, throwing what I thought I was going to do for the semester out the window and pivoting. So I thought about this this morning, exactly what I talked to my students about, being able to pivot, be resilient, adapt to change, was my lesson for this semester, not just theirs. Yeah, well, uh, really crazy to think about. Um, Bill, Bill Squires, um, you, you had the most um, dramatic story of the year, which I know has been told uh, various times, maybe not in this podcast, uh, but your experience was unlike any I've heard of anybody I know beyond Columbia even. Uh, do you want to say a few words about that and how you're feeling about it now in the rearview mirror? Uh, sure, Tom. Thanks. Um, yeah, for those who don't know, and I'm sure that uh, most of those who be listening to this do know that I had a, a pretty serious battle with uh, COVID-19 uh, Reader's Digest version, uh, 48 days in a hospital, 22 day, 20 or 32 days on a ventilator, and then 22 days uh, in a rehab facility. Learned how to brush my teeth, put my pants on, uh, walking, and uh, and um, swallowing therapy, which uh, never thought you know you come out of your mother's womb and you're already able to swallow. But here I am at the age of 66, being taught how to swallow again, and uh, so pretty dramatic. Uh, I will tell you, I was I slept the whole month of April. Uh, I last day I remember was March 26th. The next day I remember is May 8th. So I didn't know about you guys going to a hybrid or what you were doing in class, but I will tell you once I was at Kessler and, and my mind was working pretty well, I started thinking about Columbia and what, what we were going to do. I was already thinking about reaching out to Bill Wiswester, my course associate, as soon as I had a chance to, to, to start talking about the upcoming semester. So we meet every January after the fall semester, only time I teach it. Uh, and um, you know, we pretty much had our ducks in a row and, it was just getting together with him like in August. So I was already thinking about it. Um, certainly um, when I found out it was going to be all online, I'm not the most technical uh, guy. Thank God Bill is. Uh, but I'll tell you, it, you know, this past semester went well. I mean, a lot, lot better than I thought it would. Um, you know, I still can't wait to get back in the classroom and see the students. Uh, I had the good fortune of meeting with 11 of the students, including uh, uh, one of my uh, auditors, one of the graduates who audited the class. So it'll never replace, um, you know, the face-to-face, -face, but I will tell you uh, the Zoom calls that we did to introduce ourselves and get to know them, valuable. As a matter of fact, this morning, I finished up my last one. I did them again. I did it twice, once in the beginning of the semester, once at the end of the semester. Got to know the students, I think even better than if it was face-to-face, -face. but, you know, the face-to-face -face just will never, ever, you know, um, you know, uh, you know that's, that's certainly what I prefer, but you know, when I heard what you guys had to go through in just a couple of days and go from face to face to online, I said, oh, my Lord, how did you do that? But then again, I think of Tom, I think of LJ, I think of Scott, and I think of all 
you know, the fellow, my fellow lecturers and, you know, you put man on the moon in 1969. There's no reason why we couldn't make this work. So uh, it worked well, but of course well my preference will always be to do the face-to-face. -face. And the last thing I want to say about my ordeal is that I, I was, I was shot, not shocked, but I was so pleased and humbled by the number of people who reached out from the program, you know, fellow lecturers, Scott, Tom, LJ, but the students, I mean, students that I had my first class 2007 and then students over the years who reached out to me to wish me well, really, really meant a lot to me. And, and uh, uh, needless to say, it, it, I don't need to be any more motivated, I think, to teach this, you know, my portion of the class of the course, but it, uh, it did motivate me even more. I was very, very humbled by everyone's support. So I'd like to just say thank you very much. Oh, man, I, I don't think you realize how much you were inspiring us, those of us that were lucky enough to stay healthy. Uh, Scott was great in keeping us apprised through the spring and early summer until we you know, had you back on the calls. And uh, Scott, I guess in a way your agenda was almost easy at that point with the faculty calls because agenda item number one was always Bill Squire's update and you were very good about uh, staying, uh, staying in touch with him and, and keeping the rest of us up to speed, which was, which was wonderful. Um, if, if you don't mind, maybe we can turn our attention to, to kind of some more business stuff. Um, and, and let's bring in Tracy and Charlie. I'd love to get everybody's thoughts on what they thought. I mean, and this is a really interesting question because so much happened this year, but what do you think was the, mo the biggest sports business story of the year in a, in a year that had more things happen uh, on di in different ways than anybody could have ever imagined. So there's a lot, a lot of options in the, in the answers you can give. And we'll go around the horn for that if we wouldn't mind, but let's start, why don't we start with Tracy? There's a sports story of the year from a business perspective or yeah, yeah. overall? Well, you mean like society and, and our world? I, I think maybe just yeah. to keep, uh, to not boil the ocean, maybe we just want to keep it to sports business for now. The, the, biggest, the biggest challenge that I saw and noticed and actually participated in was the shift that teams had to take um, from a contractual relationship that they had with a client to what it was they could and could not do based on fans being in the stadium, in stadiums, um, and having to go through the process of substitution of assets um, or uh, extensions of deals, or let's just take this year off and add another year to your contract. The, the, uh, uh, that was a major, major undertaking. And there were lots of moments where um, the partners, some of them were happy with the, the substitutions that we were, we were able to give them. Some of them were rather uh, 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 stubborn in terms of uh, this doesn't work for us. And we had to, you know, uh, find al alternative methods. And some of them, you know, we just couldn't work things out. And I think that that was, uh, that was a, a very unusual challenge. The other piece of it is, is that, you know, from my new business perspective, um, from, from a team side of things, there really wasn't anything that you could do this year. I mean, it was basically just, let's just take the year off. Um, you know, there's no budget. Um, don't think about a budget. Don't think about, you know, uh, doing deals. Let's see if we can get your business that's up for renewal renewed. Um, but in terms of, it just took the emphasis off a new, new business. That to me was uh, was one of the 
the uh, highlights of it or or situations. I think the other one was uh, uh, watching Augusta National play in November, the Masters yeah. in November. That was kind of uh, that was kind of unusual for me, and uh, uh, I uh, that was uh, uh, a major sports story how they were able to make that adjustment. I think of all the sports franchises uh, or all the sports entities that responded the quickest and the fastest and the best of this, it probably was the PGA tour. Um, the way they were able to, to adjust quickly, get things up and running and, and done um, and somewhat seamlessly. I mean, it was different watching golf with, without people in the stands, but from a pure sport perspective, it seemed to me that it was just as good as it always has been. Charlie, what about from your perch at MLS, Major League Soccer? Absolutely. Uh, it's got to be the creativity and the resilience as well as the innovations uh, that our league as well as I think the, the whole industry has. Um, I think everyone had to figure out a way to present their game differently overnight just because of, of the COVID. And as an example of MLS, um, it's, you know, we started our season with in, into the two weeks, uh, the COVID hit, and then we had to figure out, you know, how do we go about the rest of the season? And to, to be able to come back with an idea of creating a bubble and being able to uh, host a tournament uh, within the period of one month and getting everything prepared from an, from an execution, uh, the protocols around the testing, um, the, the location, infrastructures to ensure that we could have some uh, uh, values that we could deliver to our sponsors with uh, virtual uh, integrations. I mean, there was a lot of elements that went into that preparation and it was all done within that short time period uh, from planning to the actual execution. So that just shows how much of um, passion that people have for the work that they do and the ability and the capability they're able to uh, turn it around uh, quickly. Nice. Carla, let me take a wild guess. Your top story, NIL, name, image, likeness, college sports. Uh, no, although that okay. is uh, <laughs> the last late-breaking development uh, in sports law for 2020. You know, I was going to choose the sort of social justice earthquake um you know i've had my eye on the election in georgia and uh the wnba owner who was so controversial down there that's what i feel the sports law story was for or sports story was for 2020 although the name image and likeness i mean god love the supreme court for giving us a late-breaking exciting way to end 2020 we stay on the roller coaster a little while longer well, well by the way will that scotus decision affect the rollout of the of the state agenda like in california that's a good question it may yeah i mean it certainly depends on uh on timing um in a lot of respects and when the different pieces of state legislation were supposed to be rolled out. Um, you have to remember at the same time, there's a lot Tom, there in this specific one, we could do an entire podcast and yeah. then some, uh, on, on just NIL. Um, but there's a lot of moving pieces. So you've got now 
uh, at least two different bills that have been introduced in Congress addressing the issue, one by, uh, by the Democrats, one by the Republicans that are not surprisingly very different from one another. Um, you've got uh, a number of different states that have rolled out legislation um, and, and Michigan passed theirs yesterday uh, that would allow students to monetize NIL. Um, you've got the NCAA that's supposed to promulgate um, at least in theory, their new, uh, their new landscape, their new, their new rules uh, in January. Although I still remain somewhat skeptical that that will happen, but that, that's in play. So there's, I, I, you've, it's about as many different possible moving pieces as you could ever have um, you know, on, on this. It, it's every level. Um, so um, you know, what the future is, uh, I think, is anyone's guess. And the timing of it, uh, I think, just became a little bit more muddled as a result of uh, the SCOTUS uh, decision to grant certiorari on the case. We won't have a decision until June, in no. all likelihood. But in, in that specific case of California, where I believe it was going to be like live, like uh, actually uh, starting, I think August one, maybe, or in July. Yeah, yeah, this summer. Yeah, correct. Yeah. I mean, boy, it must be really confusing to the uh, athletic directors uh, and, and the student athletes themselves and their, and their families and stuff like that. Anyway, um, so Scott stick with you for a second what what's your takeaways as, as the big business story of the year in our world well, I, mean, I, th I think the two that certainly dominate uh, overriding so one has been as it's been touched upon covid uh 19 and its impact across the industry uh and our industry has been hit um uh about as hard not the most impacted but about the most impacted of any industry um that uh that, that in, in of literally of any industry of any business um, so I think that one, you know, we've kind of hit a brick wall um, as an industry to the extent that you rely on live gate um, and uh, an attendance driven uh, metrics and revenues, uh, you've really been impacted. So, uh, you know, I think that's the, 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 the certainly the one obvious answer and the other um, has been the impact of the various social justice uh, movements um, and uh, really everything that came out of uh, the, the protests post uh, George Floyd uh, being murdered. And I think that uh, that has had a dramatic impact across the industry um, and really up the level of athlete activism um, in this space to, uh, to an even higher level than where it was before. Uh, and I, that's, you know, the response by the industry uh, has been a very positive one, you know, the athlete empowerment uh, moment that we are, are now firmly in. Uh, we saw it taken to a higher level with the, you know, starting with the Milwaukee Bucks protest uh, during the playoffs. Um, the ultimate question is, it, what is the lasting effect going to be uh, on the industry? Was this just a 2020 thing? Um, or is this going to be something that hopefully uh, remains a part of uh, the sports firmament uh, going forward. And we've seen it in a lot of different ways. We've seen it in, um, uh, in a lot of different, even, even our, our program has done uh, a lot of different things in, in the space, um, you know, to on the micro level to, uh, you know, the, the macro level of um, athletes just really, um, and, and organizations being really engaged. So the question is, ultimately, is this kind of the flavor of the year? Um, or will this ultimately uh, be something that endorsed? Yeah, um, I'm going to ask one more question, and I'd love I'd love to pass uh, 
pass this around in terms of asking uh, some new questions. But Bill Squires, uh, Scott just mentioned the importance of the gate. We've been all following the stories of, of the limited or no fan attendance uh, all over the sports world. I mean, it, it is so bizarre to be watching these big NFL games, for example, in certain cases, uh, like in New York, with no fans whatsoever. If, if none of us would could have, in our wildest imaginations, guessed um, what things would be like by late spring when it came to the actual simple notion of attending sporting events. Um, what's your take on that as we wrap up this year? Um, and, and tell us your thoughts about how we're kind of going to work our way back. Well, I, I, I listen. That was my thought. I mean, the the most um, uh, the biggest issue for me was watching games with nobody there. It just it just doesn't make sense. And I've spoken to some of my peers in the industry, and they said, "Bill, you wouldn't you wouldn't understand it. You know, you walk out a tunnel, there's no noise except you hear the players sitting down at the end of the field, and there's no fans." And and they said it's just it's it's surreal. It just doesn't doesn't make sense. Um, I mean, I, I certainly do see fans getting back into the stadium. I think the vaccine is going to make a, a big difference. But you know, I think that it's kind of like nine eleven in my in my estimation is that people now, are, you know, they were alerted to the security aspect of uh, a venue and they want to make sure everybody was walking through walk through magnetometers or having handheld wands, searching not only them but everybody going in. Now it's your cleaning crews. Now it's your food and beverage staff. It's you know how are they going to be served. Um, uh, so I think they're going to be fearful for a little bit. Um, and I still wonder how I, I do think there's going to be some form of identification that somebody's got a vaccine. Uh, but boy, if you can, you know, doctor and uh, uh, driver's licenses, I can see that being the case as well. Uh, but we'll get back to it. Uh, you know, I saw uh, the plan that MetLife Stadium team put together. Uh, they put uh, three plans together, one for 30,000 and less, one for 18,000 and less, and one for no fans. 180-page uh, document, very well written, very, you know, right to the point, knowing exactly what they had to do on game and non-event days. And I think that probably every venue out there did something similar to that. Uh, but, you know, we're, you know, we have to uh, listen to what the governor of New Jersey state does. And uh, do I think we could have done it safely? Uh, yes. But then again, you know, when anybody throws the words, you know, safe out there, they'd rather be safe than sorry and take, you know, make sure that we're, you know, that we're ready and uh, and I do think it was a, a wise decision, especially now when you see what's going on in, uh, across the country with, you know, more cases, you know, more hospitalization, and unfortunately more deaths. Uh, but I think we'll get back there. I know it. Um, it's just going to take a little bit of time. But, uh, you know, I never thought that one day I'd see a, a position on a staff as vice president of hygiene or vice president of sanitization. Uh, but there, there's going to be some jobs created out of this. Uh, certainly the, the, the companies that clean buildings, uh, um, it's like security was increased, you know, fivefold uh, after 9-11, the, the same thing, you know, they're going to, you know, people who go to the stadiums going to want to see people wiping down door handles, you know, wiping down escal escalator handrails, you know, throughout the event, they won't feel comfortable if they don't see that. Um, but, you know, I've, I've been, I've been participating in a lot of webinars and, you know, the, the, the experts are out there are, are considering everything. And I'm sure I've been asked, you know, what I take my family back to a game when, when the buildings reopen and my answer to that, just like it was after 9-11, I certainly would because I know that the people that are managing these venues across the country, whether it be sports or, or zoos or PACs or convention centers, are going to take every action possible to make sure it's a safe environment. Uh, so we'll get there, but it's going to take some time.
All right, Joe, how would you answer the question? Um, I, I actually think that the answer to the question isn't written yet. I think kind of what Scott had talked about, one of uh, our mentees told me earlier this summer that, that what this has done is accelerated the inevitable in a lot of ways. And I believe that. I think that, that there were things that were seventh or eighth on a list of business priorities, cause marketing and um, social responsibility being one of them, which suddenly became first or second, which they may have been, should have probably should have been all along. Um, I think we're going to have to find out and see, as Scott said, on, on some of the, the things with regard to social justice, but bigger issues, not bigger issues, but important issues like streaming and fan engagement and um, gaming and how all those things, what did we learn and what is actually going to work? Because um, I've also said, had people say to me who've been involved in social justice for years saying, the biggest problem is sometimes it's like the tide. The tide comes in and we built this beautiful castle. Tide comes in, wipes it out, it goes back out and we're back to where we were. Um, the goal is hopefully that people have taken a little bit of a pause and have learned whether that it's in youth sports, mental health, the growth of women's sports and, and have learned some things that are actually going to apply which become important and needed. And, and that's really the goal. Um, the other thing I think is interesting is at some point uh, we'll be able to look back and look at all those little footnotes to history. Scott talked about, and you touched on when we were going to Sloan MIT, which is the last conference that I think that anybody has been to uh, since March. But I remember Scott, when we were driving up and we were debating over whether we were going to go to Barcelona or not. Uh, wow. And obviously that never happened and we don't know when it's going to happen again, but uh, or Madrid, I'm sorry, but, but, um, but, I think when you look back on all those little things, you know, what NASCAR did with gaming, what the NBA did with gaming, how they were able to pivot and actually create events that people were watching, which were virtual events that nobody would have ever thought you could watch on, on uh, broadcast or, or cable TV before. I think all those, those little footnotes to history that we've learned um, and how we've been able to adapt it and what history is going to tell us going forward, which will be, I think the next part of this, podcast, which we'll, we'll get to in a little while of, of looking forward, not, not back and kind of what's being picked up. But I, I don't think we know yet. I think it's going to be really exciting to see what we learned and, and where we are two years from now in this business. Joe, when do you think uh, we might get back to normal? I know, I know we're going to focus on 2021 later, but just quickly on the conference front, you and I, you and I have talked about this a ton because we're both pretty active with conferences. We're both involved yeah. with NYBC Sports. We we attend yeah. a lot of these conferences. We, we know these people. It's been a brutal year for the conference business in all in all of business, but in the sports industry, where there's just an incredible number of conferences, it's been kind of strange. And I know a lot of us got Zoom fatigue. Joe and I have talked about that many times mm -hmm. over the last four or five months. But what do you think is going to happen? So, uh, so it's Friday the 18th of December right now, and we started this call for, for people who don't know at one o'clock in the afternoon. At 12.55, I tweeted something because I just learned this this morning that the NACTA, which is college athletic directors, and COSIDA, which is college sports information directors, have announced that their conference will be virtual, and that's in June. Wow. So, so I did a quick search, and I cannot find any conference in person anywhere other than the state of Texas, believe it or not, there is one in June 
that is planned right now until October, 2021. And, and having talked to a bunch of conference people, I talked to people at Comic-Con this week, they do not think they will do a live event in July. Um, I think it's gonna be a furious rush to get back. And I think there will be some smaller events, hyper-local events before that, depending on what happens with the vaccine. But when you think about in December, we're talking about next October for when things will be back. That's a lot of event people and a lot of people that I get really worried about who, who aren't gonna have a lot of work and figuring out what to do next. What's everybody's take on these virtual conferences? What, would love to get your opinions. I'll start with Scott, because I know you've been involved with some of these, Scott's both, both as a speaker and a, as a visitor. Um, could just, just share some thoughts on that. It's an interesting question that we never really had to think about until this year about the differences. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the knowledge piece is there um, for the conferences. You know, you can still learn things uh, at them. Um, I think that's the, the, high, the highest, you know, level answer. I think drilling down, I think Zoom fatigue sets in. It, it is really hard to sit there, uh, at least for me. Maybe my attention span is more limited than most, but it is really hard to sit there for multiple days on end um, uh, with a conference shifting from topic to topic. And, and I think the real value in a lot of the conferences that we all attend, not all, but a lot of the conferences beyond what you learn in the room, um, so to speak, um, is the networking uh, outside of it. And that in a virtual sense um, is essentially non-existent. I mean, I think the conference has done a very good job, a very good effort um, in, in, in bringing, um, you know, breakout rooms and the networking, attempting to make the networking similar. It, it's just not, um, you know, it is, uh, th that's been the one big takeaway that if you're going to it for, if the real value is in networking, uh, for you, then there, there isn't a whole lot of value in, in attending um, a conference this, in this way, shape, or form. So, um, you know, that's kind of my get. So the, the short, long answer short, knowledge can still be uh, passed along, uh, networking non-existent. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you strip, strip away these beautiful venues, these nice uh, gathering spots or, or ballrooms, uh, you strip away the drinks, and the snacks, you strip away the networking and the uh, impromptu random get togethers and reconnections and things like that. You, you take away the stage or the dais, whatever. It just comes down to people talking and sharing their opinions. And I, I've kind of been interested to see how people handle that vis-a-vis -vis their other work. Cause a lot of people are doing podcasts or participating in podcasts. A lot of people are doing uh, other things for their companies. And oftentimes, Scott, that content that you reference, it is quite solid, but it tends to get a little repetitive after a while. Cause you see, I mean, Joe and I've talked about this a lot as we've helped uh, Jeff Folk plan many of these NYBC sports events that you kind of want to get different perspectives, different voices and things like that. But there is kind of like this, a list of sports speakers, sports business speakers that kind of keep going around uh, and after a few months of that, I think a lot of us were feeling like something needs to be changed or reinvigorated. Um, I don't know if anybody else feels that way. Uh, I, I believe Joe does, but Joe, do you want to respond to that? Yeah, I, I think one of the, the good things that's come out of this is the immediacy to pull people in. And we've seen it in class that you could normally not get, you know, because of travel or 
timing that, where they can pop in for 45 minutes or an hour. And I think that's exposed people to a lot of new faces and voices. I think that's been one of the positives. But I think, um, you know, the randomness of scheduling, there were Tuesdays and Wednesdays that we've talked about where there were literally eight or nine events at the same time. <laughs> you know, I mean, how much, how much, how many second, third, fourth, and fifth screens can you have to try and pull the cacophony of noise in at the same time? I think that was a real challenge. Um, but I think that randomness of meeting people, especially for young people who are trying to figure out how to get in the business or people who are changing jobs, um, when, you know, the value of just showing up has totally gone out the window or off the laptop, however you want to put it. Uh, and that's the biggest thing is, you know, not being able to see people or, or interact with people. You can see them that you've just never, you know, who knows when that will happen again. Hopefully it'll happen again soon. Um, but the randomness of, of big events is really kind of the, the, the interesting thing. And I, I even think with, you look at sports and music and other events, you know, what is Super Bowl week going to look like? We've never really, you know, other than the MLB All-Star game, we didn't really lose a lot of those big event weeks because Super Bowl, NHL, All-Star game, NBA All-Star game were already done by the time this started. Final Four was the only one that really got kind of pushed by the wayside. And then the World Series was different. But the events in one place, like the Final Four, like the Super Bowl, like the College Football Championship, which have been massive happenings, they're not. So, so that's the randomness and the ability to do business and meet people and reminisce is really the thing that's been kind of lost. So, so Joe, last uh, Super Bowl, you and Scott ended up doing yeah. How many? How many podcasts? Like, in the no, course of I don't day? know. Cer Cerny was the was the master there. I mean, that was right. unbelievable. Right. I think we but, ended. Up, I think we ended up with like ten podcasts out of that, right, or something. Oh, but easily. We did get the yeah. request for credentials, Scott. So if you want to go and sit in an empty ballroom in Tampa, we could probably do it and just kind of you know pretend that we're around all these people. So. <laughs> ambient noise needed, right? Or just get the virtual virtual background of the of the ballroom and pretend that you're in Tampa. No one will know. That's right. That's um, right. By the way, on that subject, Joe and Scott, everybody, do you know anybody that's going to Super Bowl? It's such an important gathering. Oh, well, yeah, Bill's Bill Squires. Yeah, going. I guess obviously certain people have to go, but it's not going to be that big social, quasi social business scene. It usually is, right, Bill? No, you know, I mean, I've, I'm not involved in the planning, but you know, when you look at uh, the amount of money they put in, just to just the approach to the the building, just the scanning of tickets to where they, um, you know, get you out of the sun, get you out of the rain, get you out of the cold, and you know, I've been reading, of course, Sports Business Journal like you guys have, and I don't, you know, the events that they have uh, that start on Wednesday night and you know last through you know the night before the game, the, those things just aren't happening. I know the NFL has decided how many people will be permitted to go to the game. Uh, I think it's anywhere between sixteen and twenty-five thousand, my guess. But it's going to be it's going to be a different Super Bowl, that's for sure. All right. So as we um, wrap up the section one of this podcast about twenty twenty, let, let's go back to Tr Tracy and Charlie. Let's start with Charlie this time. Uh, get their impressions of teaching as new teachers in the program. We'd love to hear your thoughts on how the experience went um, and and some of your impressions. Sure. Um, as a rookie, uh, I think there's definitely a benefit uh, coming in because um, you don't know what you don't know. So there wasn't much to compare against, whether in class versus virtual uh, was much different. Um, but even with that said, I think there was a lot of handholding uh, from the 
um, administrations to uh, Scott's teams to even having uh, access to a veteran teaching assistant to have taught this class before and helped out really is uh, really helpful. Um, and I think that really made it a huge difference uh, in terms of it, getting everything in, uh, in place. And certainly was a big shoes to fill because the, the course was taught by uh, Russell Scabetti, and I'm sure you guys all know, who is very well known in this space uh, in the industry. So um, to be able to kind of come up with a course that um, was comparable to what he has done in the past certainly was challenging in itself. But I think overall, it was a great experience. Um, the students were uh, phenomenal. Um, they were trooper um, in terms of preparation, um, participation during the class, um, and all the tips that were uh, kind of provided from LJ and, and Scott in terms of how we should try to make all the, uh, each of the classes more interactive, getting them involved was really helpful. Um, so overall, uh, we just had like uh, our final class last night and uh, it was, uh, you know, well worth the investment and time and efforts that were put in uh, for this semester. Nice. Uh, and my apologies to Tracy, who's not a rookie. He's a veteran and I misspoke. So Tracy, my bad. Um, I'm embarrassed. Um, but let, let's just get, um, uh, I want to go back to Carla's point before, because she mentioned uh, in her answer earlier, the, the notion of high flex. And maybe we should just explain that as we try to um, clarify kind of the, this issue of what the experience was like. Because for example, um, as a contrast, I did the fall just online as many fa other faculty did. Carla Scott did the high flex. So Carla and Joe, and, and Joe I'm sorry, Joe. what am I saying? Yeah. And of course, Joe too. Yeah. Um, so what is, can you just quickly describe that for, for those who are not familiar with the idea of, I mean, people hear the phrase hybrid learning, but I think in the, in the realm of graduate programs, probably people know what that actually means. Okay, so when I told people I was high flex or a hybrid, I felt like I was talking about something sort of out of science fiction. Uh, it basically means uh, that I have students in the classroom who do have their laptops up so that they can interface with their colleagues. I had about seven or eight in the classroom um, and then everybody else was online. So the students who are in the classroom were socially distanced, they were masked. We had a fantastic space that allowed for everyone to take a, a seat that was far enough away from their neighbor that I always felt very safe in the classroom, let me put it that way. I had a videographer who recorded the class. I had my usual trusty course assistant, uh, Micah Day, and I also had the assistance of Kevin Nathanson, who is a graduate of the program, and he helped coordinate what was going on in the Zoom room with what was going on in the classroom. So some hybrid because some were in person and some were uh, participating via Zoom. Yeah, and you'll be doing it to be clear. Fiction. Yeah, and you're doing it in the same modality uh, for spring 20. I'm in the room with the students. Yeah, correct. Nice. And my teaching assistant. Okay, good. Um, all right, Joe, how do we how do we put a bow on this, this part of the conversation on 2020? What say you? So I would say see you. <laughs> yeah. I'll see you next year. How about good, um, maybe good, good riddance? 
Perhaps. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, this has been a, and, and we encourage everyone, if you're listening to this in order to come back for the next part of this as, as the same group is going to talk about leaning forward versus the lessons learned going back. But um, a year like no other, for sure. Uh, a semester like no other. Um, a lot of credit to the students who, most of the ones who, as, as Scott and Carla know, who are in the classroom, weren't from New York, by the way. They came to New York Correct. to go to the program. Um, and uh, ironically, I had students who lived close to campus who never made it in, which is pretty funny. So, um, um, but I think, you know, you know, lots of lessons learned here. Um, um, you know, one thing I think before, before we wrap, before I forget, Bill, you actually just went to the Army Navy game. What, just uh, to give us your experience from what that was, and maybe that's how we wrap it up is looking at the, the finality of the Army Navy game. And then, you know, we'll, we'll be back with you in a little while. Uh, re listen in to talk about uh, 2021. Bill, what was it like? It was interesting. I, you know, I did get the chance to go to the game, but not as a fan. There's no tickets were sold, so I found a backdoor way to get in. I became a security guard for the day. I had to go through all the training, the background the back door way into the U.S. Military Academy. Now, there's, there's something. <laughs> Let me tell you what. If there's a will, there's a way. And uh, I found I had the will, and I found the way. And so I worked as a security guard. Um, it was great to be in an environment because you know, it was loud. You had, you had, you know, 4,400 cadets, 4,400 midshipmen. Uh, certainly was not a neutral site game. Uh, every time the Army PA announcer would say first down for Army, it was apparent. And every time it was third down for Navy, he made that apparent. Uh, but to be part of it, you know, I had a 22-game consecutive game streak. I didn't want that streak to be broken. Uh, there are a lot of people who had consecutive game streaks that have been broken. Um, and I'll say this, uh, simply put for me, you know, of course, Navy lost, so it was disappointing, but, you know, the better team did win. I, I will say that. Uh, but as I was driving home, uh, although the disappointment of losing the game was something I was thinking about, I thought about the fact that on uh, May 12th, I was able to stand up for the first time after my ordeal. And I was only able to stand up for 19 seconds before I collapsed in my wheelchair. Uh, that day, last Saturday, I stood for 12 and a half hours and walked, never sat down. So Navy may have lost but I got a victory. So uh, wow. I'm actually going back tomorrow to work the Air Force Army game. Wow. I guess I did such a great job. It was kind of funny because all these young people wanted to relieve me. I guess they think, you know, when I was, you know, working my post, I said, guys, you don't understand. I'm not here. I'm here to watch the game. You know, this is, this is, I don't need a break, but I'll be there tomorrow and I will be rooting for Army. So uh, I won't be, I'll be standing for 12 and a half hours, but it'll be another, but there's no cadets because all the cadets are on leave now. Uh, there's no uh, Air Force. It's going to be typical. So I'll see a game for the first time with absolutely nobody there. And I'll have more to add to that, I guess, after the game. So, Joe, there, Bill just un unwittingly shared another inspiration, at least for me. And, and it's a good one to maybe wrap up this conversation in 2020 for the program. If there's a bill, there's a way. How's that? There you go. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, yeah. Thanks, everybody. That was terrific. And uh, to the listeners, well, appreciate you tuning in. We're going to do part two of this. So as Joe mentioned, please uh, check it out. We're going to be looking forward this time. So we'll make some um, predictions and we'll talk about where the business is heading in 20, 2021. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'll, really appreciate it.